You're listening to Power and Public Space, a co-production of Drawing Matter and the Architecture Foundation. I'm your host, Matthew Blunderfield. In this episode, I speak with the scholar Anna Benet Miro. I'm a lecturer in architectural design at the University of Edinburgh. I studied lecture and practice in Spain before moving to Edinburgh to develop my doctoral research on the fan palace of Joan Littlewood and Cedric Price. Since its conception in the 1960s, the fan palace has circulated widely in architecture culture and mainly through its provocative collages, characterized by giant space frame trusses framing a flexible shed of interactive cultural events. These images persist as inspiring propositions for a new physical infrastructure of cultural exchange. And while they're often primarily attributed to Cedric Price, the project was actually a result of a close collaboration between Price and the experimental theater director, John Littlewood. Littlewood's radically inclusive program aimed to counteract the elitism built into British society and arts policy of the time, reflecting her ambitions for a theater for all. In this episode, Anna Benemiro discusses how the Fun Palace was itself conceived of as a kind of theatrical project. She also explains the impact this speculative project had on public discourse and the shaping of local developments of the time, how the Fun Palace might affect the way we conceive of public space today and the kinds of lessons architects can learn from Littlewood and Price's collaboration. Our conversation was recorded in April of 2022. Bene Miro was at the University of Edinburgh, and I was at the Architecture Foundation in London. All right, so here's my conversation with Anna Bene Miro. The Fun Palace is an unrealized project that is circulated mainly as a series of provocative collages illustrating in effect, this giant, flexible shed of interactive cultural events. These images remain potent in their suggestion of a new arena of public exchange, and they're often cited as precedents by architects. But I want to know what exactly was the Fun Palace, and was it ever intended to be a real building? So the Fun Palace is well known as a complex cultural project initiated in London in 1961, as an interdisciplinary collaboration between the radical theatre producer John Littlewood and architect Cedric Price. It was a civic project aimed to transform passive audiences uh, of the post-war consumer society into active citizens through forms of self-directed, pleasure-led, open exchange. And uh, you can see the project being called by their authors or their producers as University of the Streets or Laboratory of Pleasure. But the idea that is a complex and cultural project might need to unpack a bit more. So complex in the sense that it was a very dynamic network of initiatives uh, following the same cybernetic principles it claimed to be designing for the environment, so enacting them was a vehicle to explore the different interests and, as, and ambitions of those involved. So we have Little Woods putting in her, you know, ideas of theater, radical theater for the people. Uh, the idea of a playground or a circus, traveling circus, uh, driven by informality and the spontaneity. We have Price assisted by engineer Frank Nubai giving 
Kevin, this idea on architectural expression as a transformable megastructure with an open frame, servicing deck, traveling cranes, and so on. And Pask, Gordon Pask, the cybernetician, was called in to help build the program of this user interaction in the, in the project. And a journalist and MP, Tom Driver, was uh, requested uh, to help or was asked to, to be helping with the publicity of the project. And then this dynamic process or practice uh, unfolded leading to different developments. So the major fan panels of which these images we are more familiar with is only one of the outcomes. There is a Camden pilot project. There is a Stratford Fair. Littlewood developed a summer school in Hammamed, Tunisia. Price took on the idea further with later developments such Donmar development or the Oxford Corner House. So it's kind of um, quite limitless. But then the idea of cultural, what does cultural mean? And, and here is the, the radicality of the project at the time, how it was building an idea of culture that aimed to challenge uh, the institutions of the Arts Council and, and institutional culture as a whole was a target for them. So the giant cybernetic infrastructure that Price Design was challenging architecture, the, the kind of uh, modern architecture and the stability of that uh, with this dynamism. And Littlewood's inclusive program uh, aimed to really counteract that elitism that was built in uh, British society and the British arts policy at the time. So taking into account that inclusive theatre or ambition uh, for all. Mm. So you mentioned that Littlewood was a radical theatre director. Can you help me understand how the Fun Palace was conceived of as a kind of theatrical project and what new ideas it was bringing from theatre into this new approach to architecture? Yeah, so, I mean, Littlewood situates the Fun Palace regions herself within the long tradition of theatre worship, her, uh, the philosophy of her ensemble that aimed to really extend the potential of any individual by means of specific drama techniques that the company had evolved since the 40s. And these were, Littlewood claims these, quote, pioneering techniques of design, training, production, and audience participation. And here, of course, um, it's uh, Littlewood scholars like Nadine Holdsworth and Robert Leake that have studied carefully Littlewood's theatre. But we can say that uh, this was an experimental ensemble that brings together means and ends of uh, avant-garde drama, such as uh, German Bertolt Brecht's or film from the Russian Sergei Einstein. That is mixed with popular traditions, uh, British traditions uh, and European traditions of uh, the music hall, for instance. For Littlewood, Littlewood's hero was the clown, a main theatre in her theatre and also plays out in the environment of the Fan Palace, if you want, or the approach in the Fan Palace. The clown as one that is capable of delivering the most acute critique of social struggles through laughter. 
And other qualities can be spontaneity and, and improvisation uh, that are achieved through a very systematic and thorough research and rehearsal process. So within this, I would like to point at montage. So montage was a main drama and film technique that permeates the production of the Fan Palace publicity itself, this key area of production of the project that really helps to respond to really what exactly the Fan Palace was or became. So since it wasn't built, at least it left uh, a thread of actions in terms of a publicity strategy. And the and one of them that can situate this question that you ask about the impact of Littlewood and in particular the impact of montage is the Fan Palace film. Um, so I have written about it, how, uh, how it's, it lives sparse in documents and archives. Um, but it's interesting to see how this mobile image intimates the social aspirations of the Fan Palace and the way it critically dramatizes the conditions of contemporary leisure at the time. And montage helps to convey that idea through laughter as well. So, yeah, I analyzed um, before how this film is constructed as a juxtaposition at different scales or orders. One is the shot-by-shot -shot articulation, the other one is the opposition between the main documentary part one with the improvised, uh, enacted, dramatized second part where you see some clowns using and misusing the model of the fan palace that uh, was built for the film. And then a final larger scale is how the film itself situates and clashes and interrupts the flow of commercial advertising at the time as a way to really activate audiences or intending to activate audiences in the very much way of uh, this technique of interrupt interruption and shock that comes from the Brachtian tradition. So yeah, I think this is the uh, one of the ways we can talk about her transference to the fan palace. You write about the afterlife of the Fun Palace. And I want to understand how this project has been held up and recontextualized by subsequent generations of architects, historians, and curators. And also how the project's more dominant narratives obscured other important aspects of it, namely in relation to the politics of public space that it was grappling with at the time. Yeah, so, I mean, the scholarly reception of the project draws a shadow over 60 years now. So it's a kind of complex uh, and, and a very interesting area of research. Since the late 60s, uh, the project's scholarly reception mainly projects a kind of stable image, which is that of constantly celebrating uh, the critical stance of the project to the determinism of modern architecture and planning. So enthusiasts, promoters were at the time the historian uh, Rainer Barnum and Royston Landau, which were close friends of Price, who praised the project's agenda of calculated uncertainty. This is a, a kind of well-known 
definition of architecture by, by Price himself. And this has been a stable image in European and North American uh, architectural culture up until today. But mainly what we see in architectural discourse is the center of Price and his archive. And therefore, the broader cultural agenda of the project seems a bit cut out of this picture and the role that Littlewood plays in it fades away a bit or substantially, I would say. And for that, we need to resort to drama scholars or Littlewood scholars, as I've mentioned, like Nadine Saltworth. Uh, that have studied uh, or tried to bridge a bit the gap. Um, but I think there is still room to, plenty of room to really understand uh, the role of Littlewood, the critical role of Littlewood in this project and the project's wider cultural agenda. And this is something that an examination of the practices that the project actually undertook and in particular publicity and media as a way of engaging public discourse uh, is very important uh, to really give a different picture for that. I want to add, sorry, that uh, there has been since 2014 a cultural campaign across UK named Fun Palaces led by artists uh, that now gained institutional support. And this marks a shift in the public interpretation of the Fan Palace project, which is resonant with this other inclusive, more inclusive legacy, offers an alternative activist mode of understanding the cultural agenda of the project. So less as a, as an architecture, but as a broader event that aims to really transform wider public. And you've written about the Fun Palace's impact on public discourse. And I want to understand how the project was used to influence those in positions of power. And what, what were the outlets or mediums through which the project was represented? Yeah, so, so as, as I mentioned, uh, publicity was an important area of activity for the project's agenda. So it was not only a means to secure support, support that very much needed the project from all kinds of public, from institutions to British ordinary citizens, but crucially it became the means to really enact the challenge to public institutional culture. So not saying, but really showing and doing. So in my research, I analyzed the kind of uh, publicity practices that the project takes on and how these convey the, the activism of the project uh, against this elitist or institutional world it aimed to challenge. And for me, publicity constitutes a kind of site of information for the project in the absence of any physical site because it ended not being built. But uh, publicity becomes in its manifold uh, forms, it becomes a site of information for the project. And therefore, uh, this activism through media leads us to understand, for instance, the press cuttings as, um, as a systematic appearance in press, 
in the cystics um, and how that conveys the activism of positioning the idea as news within a system whose hegemony uh, the project very much aimed to, to challenge or oppose. And here, uh, the studies of Raymond Williams, the cultural critic of British uh, press and British media at the time, are crucial because you see how, how it was being shaped by a certain monopolist um, structures or organization. And, uh, and there was a convergence of the editorial content at the service of profit through advertising. So here you see each, uh, each of the news, when the fan panels becomes news, in each page you see that kind of clash that it wanted to provoke, to really awake uh, British ordinary citizens. And you see the project spread across a number of outlets. But there are, there are others, of course. There is um, the, the publicity of the project through the broadsheet. When you analyze it as a site of information, you see how it is, it is produced and the audiences that engage with that through the circulation, you see an ambiguity of that broadsheet circulating at the same time through institutional worlds like civic trust, attempting you know, to gain the support to be built on the banks of River Lee in, in the East London area. But at the same time, it was uh, tuned up and attracted the interest of the situationist project of Alex Trocchi and his Sigma portfolio, which was very much a radical project at the time to really counteract institutional culture. So you see how the, the publicity starts to position itself uh, in this ambiguous land and, and aims to really um, call uh, a, a kind of very plural set of audiences or is addressed to, to a wide public. You can see the film itself, how it is challenging um, television or aim to challenge television and advertising in, in television. Again, reaching out to mass audience at the time, but then you see a shift in the project, um, how the later development through Stratford Fair, uh, a different kind of publicity starts to emerge that, uh, that situates a shift in the audiences. Now it is more focused into the local youth and therefore the publicity becomes more immediate uh, more spontaneous as well, and there are there is one example, for instance, called Bubble City pamphlet is one of them. But then also the journals that register the events that uh, that are um, programmed every every year, every Easter or every summer at the time of the school holiday and within land that is scheduled for the development, how they tell the story of the fair and distribute it throughout institutions as delegates to really gain support and change society at that ground level, mm -hmm. if you want. So there are a number of these initiatives, uh, but publicity is an important area of the project. 
Could you talk more about the Stratford Fair example? I just want to, to understand what kind of concrete influence or consequence the project had on the built environment or the people who lived um, or used public space. Yeah, so, so it's a very... It's a very important development of the project because particularly to support this idea of its wider cultural agenda, because in it you see a drop in design in favor of really activism. Uh, the project didn't time, didn't have time nor resources for these major, uh, major uh, representations and actions that the major fan palace uh, needed. So it became a kind of very spontaneous action to really focus the aims. So in the, in the publicity or in the accounts of that experience, Little Put herself recognizes that is uh, in a letter to, to actually back Mr. Fuller, uh, as trustee of the project, she's situating this later development of the project as as a fair, a traveling circus uh, that shows, still keeps the main aims, but is cut to suit the poverty in which the idea was at the moment. So, so what, uh, what Littlewood leads is a kind of um, activism in the local uh, area of Stratford, the circumstances around had changed from the early 60s because we're, we're in the end of the 60s now and early 70s and we see a heavy and violent program of redevelopment in the area. So slum clearance had happened and therefore the communities were kind of lost there. They had lost their references. Uh, and particularly she was concerned about the vulnerability of the of the children and the, the youth in the area. And therefore, this program of Stratford Fair, which is again a network of interventions in the area, uh, events like painting the facades or generating a fair for Easter, that is very much organized by the kids, events in the theater that bridge the gap between the playgrounds, playground making and participation in theater on Sunday. So this network of act minor activities, if you want, was very important to, <clears throat> to create an identity for this community. And the way media operates there with this publicity uh, that is, is generated to call for support in the community is a way of uh, really organizing politically uh, the community there through these small minor actions, but repeated, strategically repeated. And they actually happened. So, so it's an important aspect of the, of the development of the idea and really focuses a lot uh, what Littlewood intended to do with the project, no matter if it was in the larger version or on this more event-based activism. Mm. So, in a sense, the architectural project becomes a form of media that's instrumentalized to 
politically organize a community against institutional power. Yeah, at that time, yeah. Mm -hmm. And just to, to clarify, so these playgrounds and these, um, these kind of media expressions of the project in a way worked to safeguard community space in Stratford against further development? Or what was the kind of tangible kind of consequence? Yeah, I mean, the playgrounds were happening. So, so here we see a double action. Uh, we see public space being really constituted in the area, in, in derelict land. Uh, that was really happening uh, as such, even if, you know, temporary minimal, struggling for support, financially, uh, social, I mean, participation of the audiences themselves or the, or the public in the area. But, but you see this action really happening and the kids really taking ownership of that and seeing for Littlewood was a way of seeing really transformation in the area. In the same way as the theatre was doing that, because there was um, even the bar in, in Theatre Royale was open at a time when, when this uh, redevelopment happened. And people flocked to, that, to there as a site that they could recognize. The Theatre Royale became the single building that remained within the area because everything else was changing very fast at a speed that the community couldn't uh, engage properly or, or make their head around that. So, so it was a matter of really helping the community to, to, to recognize itself as a group amid this violent redevelopment. And therefore the media constructions, they seem um, very ephemeral, inoffensive, chill-like drawings that show the speed at which change was happening and how the response of these playgrounds had to cope, you know, as well. So very, very quick, um, quick publicity to call for support, to ask for supplies, to, to take stock of what had happened a month before and improve the strategy to make that happen the next Easter or the next Christmas or the next weekend. So it was a, a strategy in both areas as a kind of in the pitch, so on, on the land and uh, in media as well. Mm. How does the Fun Palace affect the way we conceive of public space today? And what would you say are the most important lessons architects can learn from Littlewood and Price's collaboration? Yeah, so, I mean, the Fun Palace as a model for practice, we can see the radical inclusivity of the project that really brought uh, an, under, an expansion or an, an expanded understanding of culture, the idea of culture at the time, in Britain at the time, pushing a shift from the kind of elitist understanding of culture and the arts policy into a really... Uh, articulated idea of uh, culture as a way of life 
way of life of the ordinary that had an impact on the ordinary citizen. For Littlewood, art was part of people's life, and the project is a stance to show how that could happen. Another way of uh, learning from the this model of practice is the kind of activism, the political agenda, how it is embedded in the practice and how it is shown and not only said that will happen. So it is actually action in media in particular. You see that before and, be, well, just in preparation for, you know, the built project, there was an action before that, which was the publicity of the project and how that, looking closely at that, you can see the aims uh, and the radicality of the project playing out in a range of contexts. So in a way, public space as an agenda of the project and public discourse are complementary dimensions in this mode of practice. Another lesson is the fluidity of the practice uh, and how this collective that was an expanding collective, we see Little Buddha Prize, but then Gordon Paz, we see uh, the historian even Barnum was part and parcel of that. We see the, the publicity uh, activity, how it was helped out by journalist Tom Drieber and, and an expanding number of voices contributed to that. So you see how the project uh, in its making dissolves the disciplinary boundaries. Another lesson is important in relation to this radical inclusivity is the agonistic practice that we see. Agonistic meaning that plurality, and this is something that is important to understand public, publicness in general, be it public space or public discourse, is that plurality means dissent, but a dissent that is engaging with institutions that wants to really change. So it's not a, a dissent that's saying, I'm not going to participate in this. No, I'm getting involved and I want to change this from within. So this, this kind of plurality of voices, you cannot, when leads back to your question, uh, what is exactly the Fan Palace? It is many things exactly, very precisely is many things. You know? So it's a, it's a kind of plurality of, of action in multiple directions, uh, in conflict, that's it. So it's not a unified kind of voice, but it's a plurality that is expressed through conflict. Anna, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you very much. Power in Public Space is a co-production of Drawing Matter and the Architecture Foundation. I'm Matthew Blunderfield, and I make the show. Check out the other episodes in this series, which are all online and ready to stream wherever you're hearing this now. If you like the show, leave a rating on iTunes, and thanks for listening.